Tēnā koe, no mai, haere mai, my name is Will Appleby and welcome to the first episode of Animal Matters for 2021. I hope you had a safe and relaxing Christmas and New Year and haven't despaired too much over how chaotic the last few weeks have been. I, like many people, had at least hoped for a relatively normal year after the dumpster fire that was 2020, but already that's looking like it won't be the case. Which is fine, I guess. It's the new normal, etc. I have to admit, I'm pretty privileged recording this in New Zealand, which has become a bit of a safe haven. At the time of recording, we have the freedom to live pretty normal lives due to the success we've had dealing with the coronavirus. How long that will last is yet to be seen, but for now we have little to no restrictions on our way of life, and we're extremely fortunate. I want to acknowledge those of you living in places like the UK and the US where case numbers have soared on the back of the new, more infectious variant of the virus. I truly hope your lives get back to some sense of normality soon. I'm not going to dwell on it too much, but it should be mentioned that obviously the US is going through a pretty chaotic time right now, which is a bit of an understatement. The insurrection at the Capitol while Congress was confirming Biden's election was a new low for Trump and his supporters. I include Trump in that statement because he was undoubtedly complicit in the sedition. Again, for those who have been affected by the riots, I hope you see a peaceful transition of power soon and your country can begin to heal, although I fear that far-right extremism will be around for a long time. I don't tend to stray into politics too much on the show unless it's directly related to animal welfare policy, but I think it's safe to say the sooner Trump is gone, the better. Anyway, we've got a lot to cover today. I've just gotten back after taking a three-week break, which followed one of the busiest Decembers I've had in a long time. There's lots to talk about, partly because a lot's happened over the last three weeks, but also because new episodes have become a little haphazard of late. Because of that, I'm making a few changes to Animal Matters. Normally, we would have new episodes every fortnight, which would include a recap of the last two weeks, along with an interview. This year, I'm going to trial releasing a new episode every week, alternating between a recap of the news and an interview every other week. This should mean we can get episodes out more frequently, while also making them shorter and easier to digest for people who can't commit to an hour-long podcast. It should also have the benefit of making each episode easier for me to write, record and release on top of my other work at SAFE, which sometimes just has to come first. If my phone is ringing off the hook or a big news event has just happened, like a government announcement or a crisis like the sinking of a live export ship, it's all hands on deck and the podcast kind of has to be set aside during that time. So one of the biggest stories last year was when SAFE and the New Zealand Animal Law Association took the government to court over their continued failure to ban fowling crates. The judicial review had its day in court in June and in November the judge ruled that the agriculture minister had introduced unlawful and invalid pig welfare standards. The standards that Damien O'Connor had introduced, upon the advice from the National Animal Welfare Advisory Committee, circumvented earlier law changes designed to phase out the practice. High Court Justice Helen Cull directed the Minister to consider recommending new regulations phasing out the use of fowling crates and mating stools under the Animal Welfare Act, 
and to consider making changes to certain minimum standards in the pig code of welfare. So the judgment came out in the middle of November, and then it was pretty quiet. There was this strange period where each side was waiting for the other to blink. Essentially, there was a four-week period where the government could appeal, so SAFE kind of had to keep their cards close to their chest to see what they would do. In the end, the government chose not to appeal, which is great, but it wouldn't have been a big deal if they had anyway. The judicial system in New Zealand has multiple levels, so the next court after the High Court is the Court of Appeal, which is then followed by the Supreme Court. If the government appealed, then we would have gone to the Court of Appeal, where a decision holds a lot more weight. A win for Mother Pigs in the Court of Appeal would have been an even bigger win. So while it would have dragged the process out even longer, an appeal wouldn't have been such a bad thing. Anyway, the government chose not to appeal, at which point SAFE and the New Zealand Animal Law Association published an open letter to the Prime Minister in the New Zealand Herald. This is what part of the letter said. Now that the government has accepted the court's decision, it is time to take animal welfare seriously. New Zealand needs an independent and reliable NAWAC, which stands for the National Animal Welfare Advisory Committee, whose members follow the law and put the well-being of animals before industry interests. It is overdue for the government to appoint a commissioner for animals, to oversee NAWAC and advocate for all animals. The commissioner should report directly to Parliament and be independent of the Minister of Agriculture. We are asking you to ensure that this happens. Under your leadership, New Zealand can once again be a world leader in animal welfare. It is time to show respect to animals and our animal welfare laws. So that was published on December 17, at which point the government could no longer appeal. That period had since passed, so the government had effectively accepted the court's decision. Now, Zach Fleming at NewsHub ran a story the night before about the letter and our calls for a commissioner for animals. That was all the story was going to be about. But during his inquiries, he got a hold of a cabinet decision that spelled the end for farrowing crates. In a statement to NewsHub, the Associate Minister of Agriculture, Mika Faitiri, who's responsible for animal welfare, confirmed to NewsHub that the crates will be phased out. She said Cabinet that week had agreed on a five-year time frame for the phase-out of the use of fowering crates and mating stall systems in the pork industry. She said the phase-out period allows the use of fowering crates to continue for five years. At the time, it was difficult to celebrate because there was so much going on, but it was an undeniable win and a sign of the sun setting on what had been a years-long campaign to end the confinement of mother pigs to cages in New Zealand. By Christmas 2025, farrowing crates and mating stalls will be illegal. You might ask why they're being given five years to phase out. Why not sooner? Why not immediately? Unfortunately, it's the reality for decisions like this. When sour stalls were banned, they were also given a phase-out period. Conventional battery cages are also being phased out for layer hens, although their replacement, colony cages, aren't much better. But that's a different discussion. To summarise though, farrowing crates will be banned. It's a tremendous victory for mother pigs. 
Next, I want to talk about greyhound racing, which has been highly controversial over the last couple of months, thanks in part to SAFE's efforts to expose the greyhound racing industry. In November, Greyhound Racing New Zealand, which is the governing body for greyhound racing in Aotearoa, released their annual report. They stated that during the 2019-2020 racing season, the industry had euthanized 199 dogs. 34 dogs were killed on racetracks, and 165 were euthanised for undisclosed reasons. That wasn't the whole story though. On January 7, Kristen Hall at TVNZ broke the story that a further 47 sudden deaths of greyhounds had occurred during that same period, but were not included in the report. The Greyhound Protection League and SAFE's inquiries with Greyhound Racing New Zealand uncovered these unaccounted for deaths, and data subsequently provided showed the dogs died of things like heart attacks, poisoning, and internal bleeding. For more than half of the 47 dogs, the exact cause of death wasn't recorded. A real problem for the greyhound racing industry is a lack of transparency, an issue that the Greyhound Protection League has to deal with a lot. At best, it's an oversight, which shows the industry still has a problem with transparency. At worst, it's a deliberate cover-up. According to Greyhound Racing NZ, they didn't include sudden deaths in their annual report because they hadn't been reported historically. I don't really buy that explanation. While it might be true that historically they hadn't included sudden deaths in their annual report, the Rodney Hansen report on Greyhound Racing found a staggering amount of dogs unaccounted for. When the Hansen report was released back in 2017, Winston Peters, who was the racing minister at the time, said... When the welfare of greyhounds should be paramount, the Hansen report has revealed rates of dog euthanasia, the numbers of unaccounted for dogs, and low numbers of rehomed greyhounds, which are simply unacceptable. Winston is widely regarded as pro-racing, so for him to make a statement like that speaks volumes. So in my view, if greyhounds die in the racing industry, it needs to be reported. Another point which was made by a greyhound trainer in the TVNZ piece was that these sudden deaths could be the result of an illness that any breed of dog could suffer with. Again, I don't really buy that explanation either. Greyhounds that haven't been retired tend to be quite young, less than four years old. I'm not a vet, so I'm certainly not an expert in this area, but things like heart attacks, internal bleeding... They don't seem like conditions that would be common in young dogs, unless they're being put through regular strenuous activity. Regardless of whether or not these kinds of conditions are common in all breeds of dogs at any stage of their life, for more than half of the 47 sudden deaths, the cause of death wasn't recorded. So we just don't know the full picture, which just isn't good enough. To improve issues surrounding transparency, SAFE is urging the Minister for Racing, Grant Robertson, to enforce immediate quarterly independent animal welfare reviews of the sport. Robertson has passed the buck, saying he has no direct jurisdiction over the Greyhound Racing Code, and operational matters, including animal welfare, are the responsibility of Greyhound Racing New Zealand. It's been a pretty bleak summer for greyhounds. While Kiwis were enjoying their unstoppable summer, the greyhound death toll has soared. Since December 18, a total of nine dogs have been killed, either at the racetrack or some days later due to injuries sustained on the racetrack. Five of those deaths occurred at the Whanganui racetrack, which raises questions about the safety of that track. 
I use the word safety pretty loosely because greyhound racing is inherently dangerous. But questions ought to be raised about that track in particular. SAFE has called on MPI to immediately close the track to investigate. They allege that they don't have the power to do that, but will have quote-unquote discussions with the greyhound racing industry about the track. If you haven't already, I encourage you to head over to our website to sign the petition to ban commercial greyhound racing. The petition was started by the Greyhound Protection League, who we're collaborating with on this campaign. We've also been joined by Great UK USA Worldwide, which is the world's largest greyhound advocacy organisation. The petition has over 17,000 signatures so far, which is an amazing result. It closes on August 1, so with your support, I hope we can get a significant amount of signatures. Head to safe.org.nz, there's a link to the petition on our homepage. In 2019, the Ministry for Primary Industries embarked on a review of the live export industry. This was in response to news that emerged that New Zealand and Australia cows were sick and dying in Sri Lanka. The issue became red hot a few months ago after the Gulf Livestock One capsized and sunk off the coast of China, taking down over 8,000 dairy cows with it. One of the potential outcomes of the review is a ban on the export of livestock by sea, which is undoubtedly the preferred option amongst animal advocates and experts. It's been over a year since the review started though, and it's yet to be released. SAFE has asked the government repeatedly to release a review. In a strange turn of events though, over the last few months, MPI have posted job vacancies, advertising for a manager to look after live animal exports. It's hard to say whether they're for the same role or for multiple roles, One job ad said that the team is undergoing a period of growth, which seemed to indicate that live animal exports would continue, and MPI knew that. Essentially, the ministry is operating as if they already know what the outcome of the review will be. MPI responded that the job ad is to fill a vacant position. But that's not true. SAFE has been reliably informed that it's for a new position, not to fill an existing one. I want to wrap up on some more positive news, because as usual, this podcast gets pretty doom and gloom. Earlier this week, a story on stuff.co.nz said the country was facing an oat milk shortage, which I have to admit, that is a bit of a crisis, because oat milk is delicious. Almond milk remains popular, but has lost fans due to environmental concerns. The demand for almonds has caused a honeybee catastrophe in the US because California summons more than half of the country's bees to pollinate its almond trees. The journey reportedly cost the lives of a quarter of the bees due to pesticides and disease. Oat milk is the up-and-coming among the milk alternatives, but due to an unusually elongated supply chain for New Zealand and unexpected rise in the popularity of oat milk, it has recently proved hard to find. The oat milk shortage at the start of the year was due to shipping issues, which impacted all sorts of goods trying to make it through the ports. Backlogs, staffing and production issues due to the pandemic and fewer flights have meant shipping issues across the globe. There are no major plant-based milk production facilities in New Zealand, but there are oat farms. The co-founder of Otis Milk says their oats are grown in gore taken to Dunedin for milling, and then shipped all the way to Sweden to be made into milk. The milk destined for New Zealand, which is where most of their milk is sold, must then be shipped all the way back. It's a long journey, at least 35,000 kilometres in total. 
Sanitarium, which makes the so good oat milk, has a shorter journey, but it's still an international effort to get its oat milk on shelves. We had quite a long discussion in the office about this. New Zealand has some of the best conditions to grow grains. Oats, wheat, barley, rye, the list goes on, can all be grown in New Zealand on a massive scale. In fact, Canterbury is one of the best areas to grow grains. Gladfield Malt is a producer of malted barley grown on the Canterbury Plains, which is used to make beer. According to their website, they say the perfect combination of climate and soil allow Gladfield Malt to produce an ever-growing range of high-quality, handcrafted, 100% natural malts. And yet, Canterbury is seeing ever-increasing intensification of dairy farms and irrigation schemes, which has turned into an environmental catastrophe for the region. The solution seems simple. Convert those dairy farms to grains, grow oats, and make oat milk. But we don't have the infrastructure in New Zealand to turn those oats into milk. It almost felt like someone had bugged the office and was listening to us, because two days later, an announcement was made that the country's first plant-based milk factory is to be built in Southland. Great South, which is the Southland Regional Development Agency, says the new company, NZ Functional Foods Limited, is a result of an extensive project during 10 years to develop additional uses for Southland land. They plan to build a carbon-neutral, plant-based food processing factory to produce quality products and grow the demand for viable Southland plant crops. Their first product would be oat milk. This is fantastic news for a whole bunch of reasons. Oat milk is far more environmentally friendly than dairy, and Lower South Island is not a good place for dairy herds. Winter cropping has become a massive environmental risk for Southland, but the region is good for oats, hemp and peas. We just don't currently have the infrastructure to turn those crops into plant-based food. There is so many plant-based options on the supermarket shelves now that it's become so easy to find alternatives to eating meat and dairy. But most of those options are coming from overseas or have to be processed overseas from raw material produced in New Zealand. A supply chain like that just adds to the food miles, which is an environmental risk in itself. If we don't want to fall behind the rest of the world, we have to start producing this stuff in New Zealand. When I interviewed Gareth Hughes last year, he talked about the opportunities for the regions this presents. Many, many years ago, most small towns had slaughterhouses, which were the backbone of those communities. And that's still the case in many small towns. Gareth envisioned that one day, instead of heading to work at the local freezing works, those workers could be heading to the local plant processor. As we've already demonstrated, we can grow the crops easily to produce plant-based food en masse. We just need the processing infrastructure. So the fact that Southland is building the country's first plant-based milk factory is amazing news and really exciting for the future of oat milk and other plant-based alternatives in New Zealand. The success of this venture will be watched closely by investors, no doubt, and hopefully it's not the last of its kind. Happy New Year, and thank you for listening to Animal Matters. This podcast is brought to you by SAFE for Animals, New Zealand's leading animal rights organisation, and produced by myself, Will Appleby. Make sure you subscribe to stay across Animal Matters on whatever your favourite podcast platform is. If you're listening on Apple, please leave a rating, as it helps other listeners to find the show. Until next time, ka kite anō.